When we were thinking about this weekend, we, um, uh, Chris and I were talking this week on a couple of occasions and um, realizing that this morning was our kind of like one shot <laughs> at getting the heart of God's message for this, this weekend across to you. So the, the way we kind of, I described the Chris's, it's not so much about having two polished sermons. It's really about an impartation of a burden. And um, that's really certainly where I'm coming from today. I'm not, I'm not at all bothered whether you think this sermon is neatly packaged and, and constructed in a way that our friend Charles Haddon Spurgeon, we've already heard about this morning, would have been happy with. It really is our opportunity to impart something to you. And uh, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to do that because I can't do that. And I, I, there's an impartation this morning of a revelation um, about God and his church and his purposes that I need you to get. And the only way you're really going to get this is through the Holy Spirit bringing that revelation to you. I think that what Chris shared with us in the first session, which actually was becoming more and more of a very fine polished sermon, I felt, um, I think it's been so important uh, the, the issues, the major themes that he was bringing there because I'm going to go into more detail now what it looks like but if you only hear what I have to say without receiving the big picture thing that, that Chris brought it'll all become a bit technical and so it's so important that Chris kind of went first and just said it's all about this it's about this missional God and we're a missional community by the way in the name missional I don't even know if it's an English word I got a suspicion it's an American made-up thing. But it's now become part of our jargon. And I always get nervous about jargon because I think when you start banding around missional church, do we even know what we're really talking about? I think Chris nailed it this morning. He, he really did nail to us what a missional church really, really is. And it's rooted in a missional God. It's a bit weird having to persuade church to go on mission. But it's something you have to do everywhere you go. And it's really weird when you think of the God who we follow, whose heart is that this gospel will go to the ends of the earth, that every nation will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So much more than a sermon, for Chris and I, this is impartation that you will grasp hold of these things. And so what I want to do in this session is literally go through the theme of this conference, this, this, this theme of missional church and God's plan and your purpose. I think it's quite a funny backdrop, by the way, that you're looking at, because I struggle enough with having one Scotland, let alone five or six all across the screen. I mean, I mean whoever's done that is obviously very expansive in empire development, so it's really great. <laughs> and it seems that your nation knows quite a lot about that at the moment, but we won't go there this morning. Thanks, by the way, for uh, being the people that put the government that we've now got in place. So I thought I'd just be very grateful to you for that. Um, so what is missional church? Let's get rid of the jargon. Let's understand what it is. Is it really God's plan that the church, that King's Church is a missional community? What's the part that you and I have to play in this church, in this uh, missional community? Is there any other kind of church other than the missional church? Well, to be honest with you, the answer should be no, but sadly the answer is yes, everywhere. And there are many church communities that have lost their way and lost their focus because they're now no longer 
a missional community. I actually come from a background um, of a good, sturdy, kind of evangelical church. But when I look back on it now, I, I think it was a lot to do with about keeping Christians happy and teaching them good sermons. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I don't remember us really pumping with a sense of mission. And just to drive it home, I would say my own church, which began 35, 36, 37 years ago, for much of its early existence, in fact, right up to fairly recent history, I don't know whether you'd describe us as a missional church. People were coming to Christ. People were wonderfully being born again. But that's a bit different from actually being a community whose priority is completely uh, uh, trumped by the issue of being a missional community. And I'll come back to some of our testimony a little bit later on of how over these five to ten years, we've gone through a tremendous transformation. Um, so what does a missional community look like? What doesn't it look like? And um, I, I suppose this morning, I could throw out the question to all of you, am I in one? Will be an interesting little question to ask yourself uh, at the end. And I suppose from, from everything else you've heard this morning, you desperately do need to be in a missional... It, it, so ask yourself the question, does Kings... Is Kings a missional church? Is it going in the right direction as far as that's concerned? So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, some of these verses will probably come up on the screen behind me, but I, I would like you to turn to Acts chapter 8. And what I'd like to do is just to um, read a few verses uh, out this morning. And I want, as I'm reading this, to catch something of the atmosphere because the early church were undoubtedly a missional church. But in Acts chapter 8, you get little hints of where actually the first seeds of maybe not being a missional church come and how they get through that and they kind of move um, on. Um, So Acts chapter 8 verse 1, Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. He was the first martyr. And on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And there's a little bit of a debate amongst theologians as to about what that, that verse is really saying. Because you can either say, well, everyone got scattered apart from the apostles because the apostles actually felt they needed to stay in Jerusalem because it was important for Jerusalem to stay a very kind of church-sending, church-planting community. It wasn't quite like that because it wasn't actually their plan to scatter everybody. It was persecution and Stephen's death. There's also a bit of a debate as to whether the, the, the apostles were actually missing something here. There's the first hint that the missional community might be being on hold for a little while. Everyone got scattered except the apostles. Well, the apostles should have been on the first plane out, shouldn't they? They should have been the ones who were actually pioneering the whole thing. So it's a bit strange. Let me just remind you, every one of these apostles in the end made it. And if you know anything about their stories that, that history records... They all ended up being martyred in one way or another, apart from John, who died on an island in in captivity. And so whether or not this is a pause button, those guys who'd heard Jesus say, and look at this verse, it's really interesting, isn't it? Judea, Samaria. See, this gospel go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Whether it's planned or whether it's not, these people find themselves in the place that Jesus told them, Judea, and in the enemy camp, the people they didn't like, the people were a people group that they'd hated for generations. They found themselves there as well. So I think it's very interesting, this mission or God that Chris reminded us is like 
pumping. It's going to happen anyway. You apostles might have a bit of a, you know, a break, but this is inevitable. And every time in church history that the church has ever paused that button and gone in on itself, there seems to be this Holy Spirit momentum that pushes us and pushes us and pushes us, which is again why preaching on missional church is a bit strange because we're actually, it's in our DNA, right from the very early church and onwards. It's always kind of been there. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned for him, deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Isn't that an amazing statement? You don't do that. <laughs> it's a waste of time trying to destroy the missional church because the missional church will just go on. In fact, there are reports that where there is persecution, you know, if you have a seed and you just put it on the top of the soil and just leave it there, what's going to happen? Not a lot. But if you take that seed and you, you embed it into the soil and you push soil down upon it, what happens is fruit comes. So there's no point trying to destroy the missional church. There's no point trying to stop it. Everywhere in the world right now, the church is really th flourishing. Often it's out of a place of persecution. So we're kind of like in a DNA, you just can't look happy, by the way. You're in a DNA which, which is inevitably going to win because it's got that kind of momentum that's there. And if the church goes to sleep and generations miss this thing of missional church, here we see in Acts chapter 8, this inevitable, even if we persecute it, they've, they think they're getting rid of it. Paul is going to destroy the church. It's, the, it's just the beginning of a whole new momentum. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered <coughs> preached the word Everywhere they went. Wow. We've we just been hearing about that today. Everywhere they went, the first thing they did was they preached. They were bold. They were courageous. They could have said, well, everywhere I go, I get persecuted, so we're not going to do that again. No, everywhere they went, even because of persecution, they were scattered, and they preached the gospel. Inevitably, this results in great fruit. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. This missional community is a gospel proclaiming community. We'll come back to that in a moment. When the crowds heard Philip, so they were declaring something. If you're in a missional church, there's something to say. There's something to declare. There's a gospel to explain in our culture without any compromise. It may, it may be different in different ways, but the message is exactly the same. They heard a message and saw the signs he performed then they all paid close attention to what he said for with shrieks impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed a missional community not only proclaims the gospel but demonstrates the gospel as well so the proclamation of the gospel in the early church was backed up with remarkable signs and wonders and miracles and you can't have one without the other. We can't say, well, that was well done first century church. We've got better ideas in the 21st century. This gospel has power to change people's lives. And in a cynical European secular society, that is a very important thing for us to get hold of. Notice what it says. These people heard a message. Then they saw the signs and miracles. Look what it says. Then they paid even more close attention to what was said. It was kind of like, nice thought, nice message. My goodness, this works. People in my street that were lame are now healed. And people who were captive to all kinds of demonic stuff, they've been set free. I think I'll listen again. 
I think I'll pay close attention again. A missional community not only proclaims the gospel, but demonstrates the gospel with power and signs and wonders that are not important in and of themselves, but point to the authenticity of the gospel they've just proclaimed. That Jesus is the Messiah. He really is risen from the dead. And if we've got a message that, that proclaims that, then we need to find that in our whole, whole deal. of And I love verse 8. Let's just finish with this in terms of this, this section. So there was great joy in that city. You see, a missional community is not satisfied with great joy on Sunday morning meetings. Or joy within the Christian community. And I love this. This is a missional verse. The reason we are here is that there might be great joy in Edinburgh. How come there'll be great joy in Edinburgh? Because the good news of the gospel comes. The sick are healed. Those in captivity are set free. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to preach good news to the poor. This city will rejoice once the church displays this gospel. And I I always come back to this verse. It's so important. The result of restoration, the result of the church getting its act together, Brilliant. The result of us restoring things that have been lost for generations in the end is not for ourselves. It's for the city. Because we will be equipped and we will be motivated and we will be restored as the people of God. I come from a background that kind of thought if we can get the church right, then the world will come in. And I preached it. I preached some really good sermons on that. And I believed it with all my heart. And I love the fact that the church is once again coming alive. All over this country, all over Europe, the church is coming alive. But it's not the end. We're coming alive so that there might be great joy in the city. That's the missional God. That's the missional church. We've got this thing. We can't keep it in these walls. And guess what? The world didn't come when we got our, our act together. We still need to go to where they are. But maybe we're just better equipped and maybe we're less embarrassed about what we can invite them to come and see <laughs> amongst us. Okay, we'll come back to that in a few moments. So I want to ask the question, there's the background, you get something of the atmosphere pumping there of, of what I think is no different from where we live today. And I've got two sections to this unpolished sermon. And the first is this, what is a missional church? And the second part will be is your part, your part in God's purposes. And so to define what is a missional church, again, don't forget what Chris said. Right against that background, I've got four definitions or four points that I'd like to make describing what a missional church is. Bear with me, because if we can get these foundations laid in our lives as individuals and as a church, it will make a massive difference. Number one, it's about the apostolic. A missional church is defined by the word apostolic. What does it mean? Well, of course, you know the word apostolic means to be being sent, that Jesus is our great apostle because he was sent from heaven to earth, that we are his community, his bride on earth, his body on earth. We are that, the church. We have been sent and commissioned. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, baptizing men and women of all nations, teaching them everything that you've observed. That is a great commission to the church to be a missional community. We cannot stop until we get there. So you get all these phrases in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul and others. I can't stay. Send me on my way as I come to visit you because I'm going on. Because I must preach this gospel to where Jesus has not been named. And we know if you like me brought up in church and you're always thinking of 
missionaries as, as those strange people you never really saw very often, but we had a map at the back of the wall um, with, with pictures, and we had strings going from where they were to where, to where they were. And we all thought, those are the people on mission, we are here. It's completely wrong. And guess what? We now live in a mission society. We live in a, in a... This city has got thousands and thousands and thousands of people who've never really heard about Jesus. They certainly haven't heard the gospel and they think the church is the most irrelevant institution in this city. So, hallelujah, if God calls you to Belgium, because they need it. But guess what? Right on your doorstep. We're all missionaries. And we're all a missionary church because we're all apostolic in the sense that we are a sent people. Our very existence here and in Scotland is to continue to fulfill the Great Commission. And so this ascended Jesus, because that's where he is, he's not just raised from the dead, he's now ascended on high, it says in Ephesians 4, and this ascended Jesus gives gifts to the church, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and he gives gifts to the whole body of Christ that every one of us might function in the way God has called us to function. It's about the mission, it's about being truly apostolic, churches being planted, nations being reached. It's so important if we are going to fulfill as King's Church God's, God's calling on our lives that we absolutely believe not only in apostles being raised up for today but foundations being laid in our church that are apostolic and as a result of that us all becoming like an apostolic community. Let me remind you of these very familiar verses in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. God raises up apostolic and prophetic ministries, not to point to themselves, but to Jesus who is the chief cornerstone. So the message of apostles and prophets are not look at me and build on my foundation, our responsibility is to point to Jesus all the time. Christ is your foundation. He is the one that you can rely on. But built on the apostles and prophets will obviously mean that they are the ones who will help the local church to make sure that they are fulfilling this great commission for themselves. And it goes on to talk about in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Foundations are so key. We've all got foundations in our lives. Right from the moment that you were born, foundations were or were not <laughs> being laid. When you are born again, foundations can be relayed. Other foundations that are a bit wonky can be removed because it's now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's a whole new beginning. But foundations are important. I meet Christians all over the world and I'm staggered about the early days of their Christian life and how important those foundations were laid in their lives. And sadly, so many Christians who are struggling for a lot of their Christian life because they never had good foundations in them. So for, for an example, an understanding of my new identity of who I am in Christ. No doubt at King's Church you hear that phrase from time to time. It's so fundamental. 
Because I'm, I'm all, we're in a world that's always looking for identity, where you've got your identity now. It's, you may do other things, you may go, but here I am as a new creation. I might have a new identity in Christ Jesus. It's utterly changed my life. I wish that every Christian could get that deeply within themselves. But many Christians are struggling because they don't know what their true identity is. And if that's true for the individual, how much more is it true for us as a missional community? Missional churches are built on apostolic and prophetic foundations. And when a local church is built on that, it changes everything. It even changes the reason for their existence. Sadly, my own background, you come from churches that are really built on pastoral foundations. I love pastoring. Shepherding God's people is the calling of all eldership teams. It's important. But if you're only built on a pastoral foundation, something starts to really go a bit wrong in terms of the missional commission. The Christians might be well cared for and taught and happy, but they're not being equipped to go out and make a difference into the society in which we live. The basis of our existence, now I'm going to upset a few people this morning, but I'm going to keep going. The basis of our existence is not, of the church, is not just to pastor Christians. So if you have an attitude, and sadly many in London where I come from certainly do, this church exists to meet my needs. Can you, why, why is it such a mystery that so many Christians are disillusioned with church? I've just given you one. If you think the church exists to meet your needs, you are going to be greatly disappointed. It is always going to disappoint you. And so what do you do? You leave and you go to another church and that disappoints you. And you go to another church and that disappoints you. And where I live in London, it is full of thousands of individual Christians church hopping, looking for a place where their needs, this church will meet my needs. In other words, this isn't about what Chris Taylor just spoke about. It's about me and us, and how we're doing. It's not about this big picture of our missional God and missional church community. I know I'm generalizing, but I think many of you will identify with what I'm saying. A missional church does not purely exist for you. It exists to help you get caught up in the global mission. It exists to make disciples and then send them. That is a fundamental different way of even thinking about church. And my prayer is that when people come to Kings and when people get saved, because they're the, they're the ones we really love, when they get saved into this church community, we do love the other ones as well, but these ones who get right from the get-go, they're not even thinking, you're here to meet my needs. I hope this church will really, and will it agree with all my doctrine? They're just going to come right in where you're at. And if you're a missional community, they'll understand, this isn't just here for me. This is to equip me so that in the workplace, all those other days of the week that I'm not in this community, I'm equipped to make a difference in the society in which I live and, and exist. Does that sound a bit unloving, a bit uncaring? I don't think so. The way I describe it is this. If you become a member of our church, we will love you, we will care for you, and we will pastor you. We'll even counsel you. We'll, you know, we run freedom in Christ. We do everything we can to really help Christians mature. But we'll do it with our arm around you. 
walking in this direction. You see, because a lot of people view pastoring as internal and meeting needs, and so the whole church built on a pastoral foundation implodes in upon itself and becomes very parochial. So you have to understand what I'm saying is not that we do not pastor and love and care and counsel Christians. We do it, but we do it in a context. Do you know what the context is? Mission. And I say to Christians, if you and I could hang out more with the non-Christians, your problems would seem less important. Because if you think you've got problems, you should come out and have a look at this lot. And by the way, you're saved. I had a friend who used to be an elder in our church. He used to get really frustrated with Christians because he was really basically an evangelist. And his limit of counselling most Christians was, you might have problems, but you're going to heaven. Now, can we please go on to the next person? <laughs> I used to say, I think there's a little bit more involved in it than that, but you get the idea. <laughs> it's so important that we understand missional church is built on this apostolic foundation. You'll never understand King's Church and we'll always be disappointed with it if you don't get this. We'll love you, we'll care for you, we'll spend hours with you, but it's in movement. It's in the context. Come on, let's keep talking, let's keep praying, let's keep ministering to you, but we're going, we're going, we're going, because we're really, really, it's important that we're reaching these people who are lost for eternity and they don't know Jesus. Which brings me very quick, I'm going to go very quick through these things. I'm covering a lot of areas, I know, but... Even, even your view of elders in a missional church is, 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 for some of us, just got to change. If you think they're there just purely to meet your needs, you'll be very disappointed with them as well. If I was to say, hands up, all of you who are disappointed with your elders, <laughs> come to the front, you know. <laughs> Fundamentally, the job of those who lead us under the commission of God is to cast vision. And it's to take us as a community into that vision more and more and more. I will look at the Bible, I just see the word one another, one another, one another, one another. What's all that about? I think it's to help the church realize it's not just about three or four people who are supposed to meet all our needs. But the, the word one another comes, the word one another, 58 times in the New Testament alone, the phrase one another comes. And it concludes, you know, encouraging one another and loving one another and admonishing one another. But it's not, you know, the priest at the front or a few people. It's all of us. So maybe all of us are involved in the care and shepherding of one another in that sense. Whilst those who lead us and they need to model this, really, I want to be in a church with the elders. Number one priority. In caring for the flock is actually also casting vision about this city and the nations and where we want to go. And you might be the most pastoral elder that's ever existed, as opposed to, you know, maybe someone who's more apostolic or prophetic or teaching. But even if you are, you know, pastoring oozes out, you're a Barnabas, it just oozes out of every part of your being. Even you will be so concerned that this community doesn't internalize, but really goes for this wonderful gospel that we are proclaiming. So important. So we've tried to teach our church, it doesn't really work all the time, <laughs> that when the meeting's over, elders are looking, what are they looking for? Guests. 
They're looking for guests. You get a queue of, of Christians. Look, we're going to spend heaven. In, we're going to have heaven in eternity together. Please let me go and see this guest. And I've upset people because they're chatting on talking to me about all the... And I'm, I'm, I'm looking over their shoulders. What am I doing? Am I being rude? No, I'm seeing a guest that no one's talking to. Why? Because you're jolly well talking to me. You're not talking to them. I'm not talking to them. So I want our church to understand, when you see elders looking out for new people, sitting down, talking, it's because we're on a mission. <laughs> and we, we'll have, we know you already with hours, you know, but this is a new person and they might not come back again. It's even little things like that that tell me whether you're a missional community or not. I love these days if someone's sick and they're a friend of mine and they're in our church, I go visit them. And I have to stand outside because there are life groups already there before I've got there. I'm in a queue. And it's no longer, I'm not going to get well until the pastor comes and visits me. <laughs> I mean, we pay him. What does he do? Come on. Why hasn't he come? And we get people so upset because the pastor hasn't come to visit. Oh, happy day when the pastor comes, but he has to join the queue because there's already a whole load of one anothering going on for that person. You might think these are just incidentals, but they're actually very, very important. Perhaps one more thing about this. Apostolic ministry, that's people who are raised up to be apostles, provide the context for missional church to fulfill its calling. It catches you up in global mission. Apostles are not super pastors. When the elders don't know what to do with somebody, they call up the apostle. Apostles are completely different to that. They are, their responsibility... It's not to shepherd the local flock, but to make sure that the elders in that church really are fulfilling the commission that God has given to you as a community. Stops you being parochial, stops you turning in upon yourself, asks questions. So last time I was up with your elders back earlier in the year, we had a couple of days away, I just asked them loads of questions. We're actually snowed in so they couldn't go anywhere, so it was really great. And... Um, it's just question after question. How are, we, how are we as a local church are going to fulfill our mission? What is the vision that God has given to us? Questions, questions, questions. And I believe this. That every local church has got the same calling. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. King's Church, Jerusalem, city of Edinburgh. How are we going to reach Edinburgh? You're a missional church. Come on. Praise God for all the other churches in Edinburgh. God bless them. Let's partner with them wherever we can. But we still got to make sure we're playing our part to reach this city. Have you reached your Jerusalem? Have we done it? Can we all go home? I don't think so. Judea, well, it's the surrounding area. So I'm asking the elders, what are, what are our thoughts about that? Our plans to reach out to communities around us. You're in a, in a nation which has kind of got a lot of towns quite close together. So obviously people like me come along and go, well, Good you're doing this in Edinburgh, but is there any chance we could reach out over there? And as Chris was speaking this morning, I actually felt this thing stir in me about you as a church because churches come to a place, Chris's church has just come to this place, where after a number of years, growth has come, blessing has come, everybody's kind of come together. And you can pat yourselves on the back and think, well, great, look how far we've come. And that's true. But it's only the beginning of something much more. So these guys in The Hague have now, I can't say too much because some of the... Church members are here and we haven't even told them. But anyway, um, they've come to a place where they're now talking about the next 10 years and planting 10 churches in 10 cities around them. Brilliant, because they're not going to stop. Why aren't they stopping? Because they're a missional church. And the same will be true for kings. King's success doesn't need protecting. 
We don't all batten up and say, we'll keep everybody now because it's the only way we can pay for this building. Or we've got to... No, 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 no. We are to release because it's not about King's Church. It's about what Chris was saying. We're a missional community. That means we go here and here and here and here. An apostolic ministry will come along. And then Samaria. Well, I don't know what your Samaria is, but it's the people groups that you don't naturally get on with. As I'm looking across this morning, I'm kind of thinking there's whole people groups in Edinburgh we're not even beginning to touch. People we don't like, people we wouldn't associate, people that speak different languages, people have cultures that we don't understand. For these Jews, it was Samaria, the next nation just south from them, that had all this baggage of hating these people and standing against them and everything and Jesus says go to them so for me I know where ours is it's France I mean it's just down the road (laughs) it's full of French people (laughs) that's my Samaria and I I actually go there every month I'm in that nation and hallelujah we're making great progress as the barriers break down between English and French culture because we're people of the kingdom of God and together we're going to help one another reach the nation of France And then you get to this and to the ends of the earth. There will be people in this church that will go to the ends of the earth. Oh no, it's so sad. I liked it when we were all together in Edinburgh. And someone goes off to Geneva and someone goes off to The Hague and someone's going to go somewhere else. You have not that prophetic word we just heard right at the end of that last meeting. You're not losing, you're gaining and the threads are going out and they're all kind of part of the same thing. You don't lose, you send. And in sending, you, you fulfill even the greater commission of the missional church. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> I think Chris and I might have hit on subjects that we feel quite passionate about. Number two. Um, we're an outward-looking community. Let me go much faster on this. Um, Acts chapter 5 is a, just a little kind of passage kind of hinting about this you just see this I want you to notice they weren't in their four walls they were how you see this in the Acts of Apostles so often people say to me sometimes uh, you know are our meetings for Christians or non-Christians the answer is both and in the early church they never had a meeting where they didn't have Christians and non-Christians there mostly because it was out in the streets it was out in the open air so Acts 5 verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them. Is that like your church? Even though they, had, they were hardly regarded by the people. I love verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought out their sick into the streets and put them on their beds that Peter's shadow might even fall on them. Great crowds gathered also from the towns around Edinburgh, not just in, notice, around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by people, and all of them were healed. So what is a missional church? Well, it's obviously apostolic, built on those foundations, but it's also a community that doesn't keep things to itself. It's totally outward-looking. It gives everything that it has away. It's a generous community. It's an inclusive community. It may sound very obvious, but a missional community doesn't just happen. There are things that need to be put in place. There's work to be done. And sadly, I know of churches that were once very, very missional and now are not nearly as missional as they were. So you might be on a journey to become more missional. There's work to be done. And one of the things is to make sure we're an outward-looking community. On the basis, we've got to change. I mean, Chris did touch on some of these things. We've got to change some of the ways that we do things in order to be inclusive that bring people back in and stay. Or we could even lose that. 
I think the story of my own church is somewhere between five and ten years ago, we got to a crisis point where we said, do we really, really want to be a missional church? Is that more important, even above all the many other things that we're really enjoying? And we made the, we made the decision, yes. And in these last five to ten years, we have gone through a transformation in terms of understanding why we exist and what we're called to do. We still do all those other things. We have fellowship. We do pray. We do teach the word of God. We do disciple people. But what's become at last, and can I just say this, it took years. It doesn't happen necessarily overnight until the DNA of our community fundamentally has changed. So the values are exactly the same, but the priority is now different. I think missional churches have to go through that kind of a conversation and, uh, and believe that the Holy Spirit will come and help us to do this. So let me throw out some things. We're just so much more inclusive than we used to be. We've moved from the danger of introspection and exclusivity to trying to welcome people and make sure they are welcome amongst us. And some of the old guard find that quite difficult. Don't look at me as if you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of the people that have been around for many years just find that difficult. You know, you all have the same seat that you sit in on Sunday morning. And because we're Christians, we forget and we turn up late to meetings. The guests all get there on time. And guess what? Like Goldilocks, someone's sitting in my seat. How dare they? Well, they, no one told them. It didn't have your name on the pew. And you can get this kind of thing, and it's changing, it's changing. So we have some folk in our church who liked it the way it was, and it's changing. We've gone from one meeting, now we have to have two meetings. Now we just started a third meeting. We don't know one another anymore. We don't know the names of everybody anymore. And the church is growing, and we've, we were 250 just a few years ago. Now we're over 500 every Sunday, and everyone's going, oh, I don't know one another. Mission. Simple. Tell me what your problem is, right? Mission. Tell me what your problem is. Mission. Every, I've got an answer to every Christian's complaints. Mission. It works every time because no one's going to be brave enough to say, well, we don't like mission. Mission. That's what an outward-looking community is about. No, don't misunderstand me. We want to understand. We want people involved. We consult. But mission has become the major issue. So we have a Sunday night meeting that for a long time was just 30, 35, one or two of you are involved in this third meeting on Sunday night 60 tough difficult the thing was God had an intention to to explode this meeting and grow but it was from people they're not from the church but people who are unchurched people come from backgrounds and so we are now gathering 100 to 120 from 35 in the last seven or eight months it's amazing we're all going around going whoa I guarantee one of the reasons is this community <laughs> hasn't got all the baggage of the old days. We're just kind of out there. And most of the people come that now have got saved, baptized, and seen new community as their, as their church have never been to any of the other meetings. We actually have from time to time family meetings. And because the older meeting is, is slightly younger, some of those people come in and they say, oh, I never realized we had so many old people in our church because they've never seen them. It's so important that we understand that if we're a missional church and we're outward looking, we will start to attract people that are not the normal kind of people that you would think would turn up. And some of them, I literally two weeks ago, 
There was a guy, there's a dance college we've got, and there's a guy who's, I think, a Christian. I'm not quite sure. And he brought these two girls, and uh, they came in, and I just happened to be standing there in the donuts and everything, loud music, dark, which is always helpful. You can't see anybody. And they, they're just kind of talking to me, and, and I said, so have you come? You know, I asked those questions, and it says, uh, what about church? So this girl says, I've never been to church in my life. And this other girl says, I went once to a wedding, and it was really boring, and I've never been back, and they're there. And I, think, I said, has he explained to you what's going to happen? No. I thought, this is just going to be an absolute nightmare. There is no reference point whatever. So, so we actually meet in the evening around tables so that we have an atmosphere where sometimes the preacher will throw out things, and you discuss it in your table, and then you come. So I did it that night. I was pre- happened to be preaching that evening. And almost a second group that had this with these three people wanted to ask a question that's going to be interesting. And really helpful they really were engaging what we're doing it's amazing so the next two Sundays those two girls have come back there's something we're doing right because they have no reference point and then things get really complicated we just had a week of prayer they've turned up to the week of prayer there's non-christians in our prayer meeting and our prayer meetings are not seeker sensitive you understand <laughs> I mean, it's full-blown singing in the spirit for 20 minutes. I'm not exaggerating. It's just full-on. And I, you know what it's like, because I'm now, you know, a missional pastor. So I'm looking over there all the time, and they're standing there. We get to pray. They're starting to pray. I don't, you don't even know God, let alone. I don't, they're laying hands on people. What are you putting into them, you know? <laughs> a guy, a Sikh guy, who's, who turns up very proudly every Sunday with his turban on. He's not saved. He's been with us for two years he's there really to look after his sister and his sister's family who've all got saved it's a kind of thing in there and he sits there and then one day he turned up at one of our prayer meetings and we all turned to pray and there he is with his turban laying hands on somebody I'm thinking this doesn't look right (laughs) but maybe this is missional things change get uncomfortable doesn't fit I don't understand all the theology of it but I want to be in a community where unbelievers with no church background come amongst us and they come back. Because something draws them and something relates to them. The meetings that we have, the language that we use, the priority changes, our small groups, not internalized, become missional communities. Our children's work becomes important in terms of how unbelievers bring their kids and what happens. See, everything, is, everything we do is the same, but everything's changed. Even the way we introduce meetings, the kind of way that we prophesy, the way we want to be inclusive. Tongues and interpretations get explained. So unbelievers will understand these things. Missional church is learning how to engage with our society, to not be irrelevant, to make changes without compromise. Can I just say one more thing? Mission and the Holy Spirit to become an outward-looking church is so fundamental. Uh, What I would just... I mean, this is a big subject, so I'll just mention it in passing because it's so important. If... If the mentality of Christians is that a move of the Holy Spirit or being blessed by the Holy Spirit is for me to feel better about myself, and that might well be true, you've missed the purpose of that Holy Spirit visitation. There's a kind of divide in the Christian church at the moment. You're either into the Holy Spirit or you're kind of missional. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. 
It's impossible. You can't be into mission without the Holy Spirit. And if you're in the Holy Spirit, he's pumping constantly about mission. I say to people that say that sort of thing to me, I think the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved is a hint. (laughs) So we're a spirit-filled community. We have wonderful moves of the Spirit. Yeah, but no, 3,000 didn't get saved. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's you can't divide those two things. Do we need more of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Does the church in Europe need need a visitation of the Holy Spirit? Of course. Will the Holy Spirit come and bless us? And yes. But there's a reason. And it's not just for my nice feelings. There's a verse in the Bible, just about blessing, okay? God, our God, blesses us. Let's put that on our fridge. God, our God, blesses us. Now read the next part. That all the ends of the earth might fear him. Every blessing is so that we might be equipped to go out. The danger of internalizing Holy Spirit activity for me, for us, is missing. I would argue even the gifts of the Spirit, which are for the building up of the body of Christ, we know, are actually also wanting to be used by us out in the community. I think we'll see a load more activity happening out there rather than in here. That's what happens with a missional community. Number three, gospel proclamation and demonstration is central. Look at Acts chapter 5 again. What do you see? You see the proclamation of the gospel and you see demonstration of the gospel going hand in hand. People are bringing their sick. Why are they bringing the sick? Yes, to get healed, but actually to introduce them to the Messiah who is Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He is alive. This Jesus you crucified is now working amongst you. And we do everything that local churches should do, but never at the exclusion of the gospel being central and being proclaimed and being demonstrated. The missional community is gospel-centric. And that doesn't mean that we now throw everything out and it's just the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It just means that a missional community is deeply concerned that we're finding ways to proclaim this gospel and to demonstrate it at every opportunity. If we're missional, we're going to be speaking to our unbelieving friends. We're going to be bringing along them to our meetings and the gospel needs to be proclaimed. Something terribly sad, and I know some churches like this, at 6.30 the gospel will be preached. And there's no one there. Everyone's saved. But a missional community is inviting. I pray that you have guests, unbelievers, unchurched, more and more in your meetings. And it's an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed, but also to be demonstrated. My personal opinion about the evangelical church in England and certainly in Scotland is that we have to win some ground back in order for us to proclaim a message that the world will listen to. There would be a day in Scotland, Scotland was renowned for this, for the preaching of the gospel in a kind of very kind of in-your-face kind of way. And actually people would listen and people would get saved. It's not so easy now. Why? Because there's ground to be won back. We'll listen to your message as long as we can see the reality. God is the God of love. Well, How does that get demonstrated? Through our relationships with one another. If we're missional, we will begin to win ground back. 
And yes, we must proclaim words, but more than that, we've got to communicate with this secular society and take nothing. See, they don't know anything anymore. Liz goes on endless alpha courses, and one of the things that she says to me, because she needs to get saved. No, because uh, she, she goes on endless uh, alpha courses, running alpha tables, and sometimes she just say, say to me, you, you know, without being rude, you just cannot believe the ignorance that people have today. You just preach the gospel. You've got to start with more fundamental things than that. We've got to win back that ground, and we're going to do it by doing things like Alpha that allow people to come on their terms with their questions, but lead them through to real understanding of who Jesus is. We need to be going if we're a missional community. The gospel being proclaimed and demonstrated will happen more and more as we go rather than just wait for them. I believe that demonstrating this gospel, preaching is great, but demonstrating is by us getting into society more and more and more. That every Christian, even in Kings, finds a way to engage so you win back ground, whether it's being a parent governor at a school or we're running this thing at the moment called Love Elton, which is one of the areas we're meeting. We're just going out into the community and doing good works and trying to win them over and, and, and doing food banks and parenting courses and debt counselling. And all the time you're doing this, you're just winning ground, winning ground. Questions are being asked. This is the proclamation of the gospel with the demonstration of the gospel at the same time. And of course, the demonstration is not only building bridges with our community, but it's also by us seeing the power of God wonderfully at work. Can we just turn back to Acts chapter 8 again? I know I mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it very briefly. You've got to see this. Peter, Philip went and preached the gospel, and the crowds heard Philip. They really did hear him. But I just find this so fascinating. And saw the signs he performed. They all paid close attention to what he had said. And I think we're living in a day in secular Europe where we, as a church, need to clearly proclaim what this gospel is. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to proclaim the gospel. We might do it in different ways to our forefathers, but we're going to have to get to a place where we preach exactly the same words. But we're going to be creative in the way that we do that in our day, in our generation, without compromising the message. One of the things that will help enormously is when we start to move in signs and wonders. Listen, and I were in Zimbabwe back in March. We're back there in October. And honestly, I can say this, that in a country that's in complete free fall, the only people that are making a difference are the church. And that church is missional in so much as they are proclaiming good news to the poor, preaching the gospel, but boy, do they demonstrate it. They are feeding thousands of people. They're, they're teaching nutrition. Their medics are going out into the villages. They're building buildings for people. They're caring for orphans. You just can't proclaim the gospel without doing that sort of thing in that society. And it's winning and winning and winning and winning. There's only 12 million people left in Zimbabwe. There used to be 20-something million. There's only 12 million left. Did you know that 4 million of the 12 million are all signed up members of the Evangelical Alliance of Zimbabwe? That's a lot of people. I can't express to you how, what an example this is of proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the gospel. You say, well, why don't some of these people live? It's so awful. This is the reason they don't leave. Because they are the ones that are holding the whole thing together. It's the church at work. Number four. Definition of mission number four is it's always been God's number one plan. And I think Chris has covered most of this. 
But just to say this, there's a reason why we're still here. There's a reason why King's Church is in Edinburgh. There's a reason that a thing called New Ground exists. It's we're representatives of the kingdom of God. We're ambassadors representing heaven. The Bible says we're salt. We're light. We're making a difference. We're on display. We're a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden. Missional community is not a group of people in some strange kind of ghetto of irrelevance. There's no future in Europe for any church like that. They're going to die. They really will die. Sad, but they will. But the church that will live and thrive is the church that Jesus is building. And the church is his idea, his plan, and as far as Jesus is concerned, the best way, now listen to, this is very important, and Chris did touch on this, the best way to reach this city or any community anywhere is through his people, the church. I didn't come up with that idea and neither do you. I can see lots of flaws in the church and I'm thinking, Lord, are you sure? But he has stated that the way this world, as Chris reminds us, through the church, the wisdom of God will be revealed. It's his decision that his body on earth, his bride, the church, should be the major vehicle for us to be able to win society back to him and the kingdom of God to be expressed. The kingdom of God comes through the church. It's not over there somewhere. Everything is through the church. Everything is through the church. Jesus, number one, a plan is the church and he's never going to change that no matter how weak, how irrelevant the church becomes. He won't come up with another idea. And Christians get disillusioned with the church. Well, I've got news for you. Jesus isn't in the slightest bit disillusioned. And he will never bypass his church as the major vehicle for us to do this. It's so sad when you see Christians trying to do things outside of the church. It's not that we despise those kind of things, but church has got to be there. It's central. He's the head of his body. He, he does it his way. He's a missional God with a missional community. You may be disillusioned with the church, and you may have good reasons. Jesus is not disillusioned. He loves the church, and he will never bypass it. So that's what missional church is. Thumbs up? Okay, let's go on to this next bit. Your part in God's plan. And this is where I really want to get to the, the impartation bit. So if this bombs, then it's a sad morning. <laughs> Let's hope for better things. Your part in God's plan. Here's the plan. Yes, it is the plan. It's the number one plan. It's God's mission. It's the church as the major vehicle. So what's your part in God's plan? How, how can we help you and I get so gripped that we give our lives to this? So I've quickly got th three things. The first is this. Be ruined by a vision. See, when I read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and I read this story as a description of what the early church was like, I want to be in a church like this. The only way we're going to be in a church that even vaguely represents what's written in Acts chapter 2 is men and women who just say, Lord, I, I can't be in any other kind of church. 
I'm, I'm ruined when I read this for any other time. And I, often I wondered, is Acts 2, 42 to 47, presumably you're looking at it now, um, is it there to mock us? It's kind of in Scripture as this, this kind of church that none of us will ever experience. It's kind of dangled before us and when you think you got close, it's kind of taken away. Surely that cannot be why this description of church is there. And then, of course, you get to realise, no, 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 it's not there to mock us, it's there to be a model. It's there as an example, and it's exactly the kind of church that God has. And when I read scriptures, not only this, but others, something in me, and I want to impart this to you today, because there are people in this room who have not yet been ruined by this vision of what local church can really be like. And my prayer is, Lord, ruin people everywhere so that we don't go for some substandard alternative we don't lower the bar we absolutely keep it in Acts chapter 2 so a community where they're devoted to the teaching to fellowship to breaking of bread prayer and everyone's in awe with many signs and wonders and everyone's together and we've got everything in common we're even selling our property to look after one another every day we continue to meet together both in temple courts, break bread in our homes over our meals, eating together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying favour of all the people, and the Lord is adding to our number daily those who are being saved. Mocking or model? And when I see that, I absolutely don't believe Scripture has allowed for statements like that to be made. You just go to Ephesians. We won't do this, but if you did, you go to chapter after chapter after chapter on Ephesians. It's picture after picture after picture of what his church is like. And every time I look at them, I think, ah, I don't think we look like that. Promise after promise after promise, all through Scripture of his people, his church, the things that he says about them. It's amazing. I... I got revelation, like we heard last night from the Son of Testaments, we should all get this, of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I knew there was just something missing in my life. And uh, I, for weeks, actually, was in my bedroom walking up and down. <laughs> please, Lord, please. I was so persuaded, I was kind of ruined. I couldn't go anywhere until this had really happened. We heard last night about the grace of God when Chris was talking. We're so grateful that he got that revelation. Um, the issue is, it is a revelation. There are Christians who hear sermons on grace, but it just goes, they don't really get it in their inner being. The need of the power of the Spirit, the need of the grace of God in your life. I remember the day when I realized that I was approved by God through the work of the cross. There was nothing I could do to add to that being approved by God. It is a revelation. I read the Bible, I'd know, I heard the sermons, but suddenly it just gripped me. And it gripped me because I spent a lot of my time trying to win the approval of other people. And when you do that, and most of us probably do that, you realise it's so unsatisfactory because even if you have won their approval, it still doesn't give you this thing in your heart you're looking for. I don't approve my God, it doesn't matter if I can't live up to their standards or meet their needs or live up to them. I am approved by God, this is so revolutionary. I have to say to you, it's exactly the same when it comes to what we're talking about this weekend. I've preached about the church and I can see it just bouncing off people's heads. It's kind of like, hmm, interesting point. It needs to grip our hearts. It needs to get into our hearts. It really does to change us, the local church. Liz and I, when we first got married, coming from 
to be honest, situations where church wasn't the most exciting thing in the world. We got gripped by this. And we gave our lives to this and still do to this very day. Just gripped with this sense of a vision of what a local church should be like. I think we knew intuitively that a lot of our friends probably would not come along to church until something radically had happened and it's changed. And we wanted to give our lives to this. It gripped us. It consumed us. This vision of the local church, because it really is the answer. We've heard that already today. Do you know there's a lot of people in Scotland really interested in Jesus? They may even come to an Alpha course and tick Jesus. When it comes to the church, they're not in the slightest bit interested. Something's wrong. You can't love Jesus and not his bride. You can't have one without the other. And your church and my church may not be Acts 2 and it may not be where it should be. But that should make us be gripped to give our lives, our time, our energy, yes, even our finances, to seeing the church be all that it's meant to be and the mission of God being fulfilled. So I have quickly passed this on. This is what's really helped me. Read. So I've got four things to say about being ruined. Read this book and get ruined. Don't take my word for it. It's all there. It's on display Read it until you start to say, I can't turn away from this. This is really going to grip me. Do you know one of the reasons why this is so important? If you don't get this, there's so many reasons to be disillusioned. You're in the church for a start. I mean, that will kick you off. How disillusioning is that? I'm in it. It's just, oh, Chris Taylor. I mean, what chance have we got? It's like you look around and you just think, Really? We're going to fulfill this. This is why you need to get gripped by this vision because it, it overcomes all of those potential disappointments. Read the word of God. Secondly, pray. If you're not, pray and be ruined. If you can honestly say this morning, you know what, I love Jesus and I love this, even sense of mission, I love being in church. I don't get this bit. I, I've been in a meeting once years ago and at least two of my kids who were probably teenagers then, and I preached my heart about on the church. And on the way back, we had a really interesting discussion. The discussion was, Dad, your generation are far more excited than, about this than ours. And the discussion went was they were born into this kind of a church now. We'd fought all the battles, and we just got this fire. The church has got to be laced, and they're going, well, we're just born into it. We had a fantastic discussion about how to pass on to their generation this same value And so they began to pray and pray and pray until this value got into them. Then I think this, we need to become, to quote uh, Romans chapter 4, we need to become fully persuaded that God is able to do that which he has promised. Remember the promises and be ruined. So the next time Matthew calls this church to prayer, and I don't know how many, 120, 150 people, and only 35 come. What does he do? I've made so many mistakes on this issue because I've forgotten the promises of God. Do you know what the promise of God is? My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. There will come a day when we'll call the church to pray and everyone will be running to the prayer meeting. Why do I believe that? Because that is the church that Jesus is building. And he's promised it. So I have 35 people turn up out of 300 for a prayer meeting. And I've just made every... Oh God, I've just lampooned these 35 people for the lack of people that turned up and they're going, well, we came. <laughs> and you just get this and you realise, no, 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 don't do that. You don't force people to do things. If they don't want to come, they're going, 
We keep setting the vision. We keep going for it. But this church one day will be a church of prayer because I live by the promises of God. Pray them into. And the final thing on this is this. Be consumed with God's intent. It's not, it's not our efforts. It really isn't. It's his very being and his counsel that we are relying on. I'm going to run out of time. I haven't got time to talk about it. But in this book of Bill Hybels, he just tells the story of when he was at college. A professor got up and started to speak from Acts chapter 2, this passage we just read. And he tells a story of how he sat there at the back of the uh, room with his arms folded and his legs extended. Because the professor wasn't actually a very good uh, guy to, in terms of just communicating. But as he talked on and on about this New Testament community, it said, he said, I just began to be ruined more and more and more for what I heard. Could you do this today? Could you do it in Chicago? Could you do it through us? And he actually says in this, this passage, he said, and he quotes, I was ruined and utterly captured by a single vision of the potential beauty of the local church. 1975, that vision led me and a few of my friends to start Willow Creek Community Church. And 40 years later, that vision still rivets my attention, sparks my passion and calls forth the best effort that I can make. He just goes on to say this, I believe that only one power exists in this sorry planet that can actually change the human heart. It's the power of the love of Jesus Christ. The love that conquers sin, sins and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grips my heart every day is the knowledge that the radical mess this radical message of that transforming love has been given to the church. That means that in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregations like yours and mine. It's the church or it's lights out. Without churches so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, growing, missional communities of faith can turn the tide of history. They can. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. And still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. If you get ruined, you're not the only one. There are millions of people around the world giving their lives, believing that this is the absolute way. And I pray today, even this weekend, even as we gather tonight in prayer, some of us will grasp a vision and will be ruined by it. Secondly, your calling is corporate. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14 reminds us 
that when we become Christians, we are baptised by one spirit into what? Into a community. I believe that Paul's not just talking about the universal church, which we're all part of, but also by this church in Corinth and your church, wherever that might be. As we heard in Acts 2, we are saved and then we are added. God has called me, as Chris reminded me, even from birth, God has a plan. God has called me as an individual, but I only discover what that calling really is in the context of God's corporate community, the church. It's not me and Jesus. I know that sounds really bold. People say that, you know, it's just me and the Lord. That's all that really matters. You don't find that in the Bible. It's Jesus and his church and the part that we have to play in that church that will win the day. We have a society where there is a huge emphasis on over-individuality. I think that creeps into our church world as well. We have Christian celebrities. We have people that it seems to be more and more about them and not about the corporate community. This needs some radical rethinking. I said to you earlier, London is awash with thousands of individual Christians. If you say which church do you go to, they don't have an address. They're not connected and they're not accountable to anybody. They have their mission and their cause, but it's not the big cause and the big mission. And sometimes they come to a church and there you are declaring your mission, but it doesn't fit in with their mission, so they don't stay. We have a mission together. And we are individuals, but we are part of this corporate mission, which only works when we all begin to play our parts. You don't really grow as a Christian outside of the local church. It's impossible, really. I want to really encourage us to know I have a calling from God, but that calling is worked out in the corporate community that God has made me to be a part of. I don't want to upset people, but we see it all the time, if I can illustrate, just through students. So we have students rocking up at our local colleges. They're Christians. For some of them, church is almost like a non-issue. They've come, but they haven't even thought about, would there be a church there? Is there something I can be connected? We have people, particularly at a six o'clock meeting, that are, praise the Lord, beginning to grasp how important this is. I dread to think what would happen if they hadn't come amongst us. They just continue to drift and they float around. They'll try this place and try that place and try the other place. Something needs to be turned on its head for all of us that the first thing we're thinking of is if I am to move, is there a church there that's going to be the kind of church I believe is spoken about in the Bible? And can I be radical if it doesn't exist? I'm not sure you can think about it. Maybe you won't move there. Maybe your job comes second. Maybe your family comes second. I know some of these things might be a bit radical thinking, but the New Testament is just kind of like, this is the priority. This is the mission of God. This is a missional church community. Maybe as a generation, we're frightened of commitment. Maybe we're frightened we're going to get lost in the crowd. Maybe we're frightened. I've had these conversations with people. If I, I feel trapped in this church. I feel like I've, I'm robbed of my freedom. What a sad thing to say. This is the most exciting thing happening on planet Earth. And you're kind of thinking, oh, I must get out. We really must be a people who understands that it's a joy and a thrill and a privilege that my calling isn't just about me and Jesus. 
but he's planted me into a community where I can grow, when I can find out what my gifts are, what they aren't. I can love people. I can learn how to love people. And because God has called me to play my particular part, which leads me on to my third, and I'll finish with this final thing, and that is this. You have a unique contribution to make. You know, when you go on in 1 Corinthians 12 and you read Paul's vision of what church looks like, he just talks about the human body. Eyes and ears and nose and mouth and all the parts of your body and it just expresses everyone is unique. Everyone has a part to play. Verse 18 says God has, uh, has placed the different parts of the body where they should be and it's just such a fantastic picture of what local church is and how local church can function. So can I just say this? If you get ruined by this vision and if you understand it's just not about me and Jesus, but it's about me and the community I'm part of, then it raises the level of your expectations that you really do have a contribution to make. When I read 1 Corinthians 12, again, it just ruins me. It grips me when I know in my church we're not where this should be. You get to come to a place where every member is functioning with the gifts and abilities that God has given them to do. You are vital to your local church. King's Church cannot be what it's meant to be without you. You say, well, I don't prophesy, and I, I don't preach, and I don't, you know, I'm not part of the worship band. Let me say it again. King's Church cannot be what it is meant to be without you playing the part that you've got to play. And this church is full of people with gifts and abilities. Please don't go off and do your own thing. We need you. I need my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I can't do what I do without other people. Some of you are thinking, poor old Dave. You poor pe- I'm weak and I'm needy. It's weird, I wouldn't even be standing here today if there wasn't someone now doing something that I used to do. Better than I'm doing it. I've ever done it. Because this is what makes the body of Christ grow and become missional more and more. We are needy, we are weak. I don't think that's a weakness to say that. We just simply need one another. All the parts of my body need all the other parts to function. Of course you're an individual, but you're not into independence in that sense that God has joined us together and made us to be one family. Hallelujah. It may not only be no longer about one man at the front who does everything while we watch every week and get entertained, But I don't want that to be replaced by a nucleus of 35 people who now do everything while everybody else watches. I want every single member of the church involved and playing their part. Do you know what your part is? Some of you are on a journey. You say, well, I don't really know. I'm still praying about it. I don't know what my gifts or my calling is. Well, let me tell you, stay where you are because you're going to discover it because you're in the right place at the right time. And when you do, really go for it with all your might. And you'll be finding that you are caught up in the most exciting thing that's happening on this planet, which is called the local church. Amen, and let's stand. Well, we've covered a lot of ground this morning between Chris and myself, but Putting that to one side, here's the, here's the deal. Our heart, our passion is that something of this amazing message of a missional God and a missional community, God's plan, your purpose, should not be words alone, but something should grip our hearts.
I'm sure this church was begun by a group of people who were gripped uh, by a vision of church in Edinburgh and beyond. I'm sure, sure this room is full of men and women who will gladly volunteer. See, nothing we've said is an imposition. It's not forced on you. That's why it needs to come from your heart. God's purpose is that none of us should miss his plan for our lives. God's purpose is that his church should be a missional community. Are you in a missional community? Is this the way your church community is going? Have you found the part you've got to... Have you been... Can you honestly say, I've been ruined, or do you have to say today, I need, Lord, a revelation... I'm hearing people speak, but I don't have it in my heart. Lord, I pray today that you'll grip men and women with this glorious vision. Down through the centuries, men and women have been gripped by this, given their lives for this. I pray that in our day, in our generation, here in this nation of Scotland, you'll raise up people in towns and villages that will be gripped by the city upon a hill that cannot be hidden which isn't the name of our denomination, it's, it's utterly irrelevant. It's not the name even of our local church. It's about your mission being fulfilled. Help us to partner with brothers and sisters through this city and beyond to pray for one another, to believe together, but help us also to play our part, whatever that might be. I pray that it will be way beyond where we are now the only way we're going to get there is by more people being ruined for this and nothing else. So would you please do this, I pray. Not only now, but even in our discussions this afternoon with one another, we're really honest, especially this evening. I want to encourage you, tonight we're going to have a bit of a taste of this through different people sharing by us praying with one another for the nations. So maybe tonight we'll help you to to grip the theory into a reality. Lord, I thank you for this weekend. Thank you we've got time, not to rush on, but just to wait uh, around this topic through into tomorrow morning as well, just to constantly be gripped until finally, Lord, you've, 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 you've nailed us and you've put this in us. And what joy and what freedom and what liberty will come to people's hearts when they really grasp this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.